Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us, we pray. Awaken us from our slumber. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to your church as we gather today, and in hearing, give us the courage to obey. These prayers we make in the name of Christ, the Word made flesh. Amen. The Old Testament lesson today is Psalm 1, and the Greek version of the Psalter begins with the same word that the Beatitudes begin with in Matthew, which we'll also read in a moment, the word blessed. So uh, the first word of all the Psalms is, in its own way, a Beatitude. So listen now for God's word from Psalm 1. Blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And the New Testament lesson comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Listen once again for the word of God. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you are persecuted and reviled and all kinds of utter is all kinds of evil against you is uttered falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Jesus uses the word blessed an awful lot in our passage this morning, doesn't he? And we hear this word a lot in our culture, too, but often to describe very different kinds of things than the things Jesus is describing in the Beatitudes. People will often say that they're blessed when things are going well, much like Emily just shared with us. We're blessed when there's food on the table, blessed when we're in good health, blessed when we're not worried about money. And in fact, this term is often used quite facetiously online. Just scan the hashtag blessed on Twitter and you'll see. 
After turning 40 in October, Kim Kardashian West treated that she was humbled and blessed to have spent her birthday on a private island as an escape for the pandemic. How about that? Last Sunday, Patrick Mahomes' mother tweeted about how blessed they were that so many teams didn't draft Patrick such that he wound up going to the Chiefs, who of course are on their way to another Super Bowl next week. Comedians have a field day with this, as you might imagine. Pittsburgh comedian Davin Magwood once tweeted, caught a piece of bacon falling out of my sandwich right before it hit the floor. Hashtag blessed. Aaron Jackson, a stand-up comedian in Virginia, observed that the overuse of this term has kind of robbed it of its meaning. She said, now it's just like strawberries are on sale at Trader Joe's. I feel so blessed. Linguist Deborah Tannen says that the term has come to mean humble brag. For example, we can imagine someone saying, so blessed to be a finalist in the beauty pageant next week. Twitter aside, though, truth be told, the way that we talk about blessings in church doesn't always sound a whole lot like Jesus' Beatitudes either. In Christian circles, we tend to associate blessings with good fortune also. And to be sure, the Bible does describe prosperity and peace and wholeness as blessings. But the Beatitudes give the opposite impression, don't they? I mean, who among us really considers themselves blessed when we mourn or are persecuted or even when we're put in a position that requires us to muster mercy? Shouldn't blessings, if they come from God, be by definition good things? Well, consider this. To limit our definition of blessings just to those things that make us comfortable or happy or safe is to wander into a theological quagmire. Why then are some people so much more blessed than others? How do we account for the tremendous inequality in the world and even within the global church? Are we to believe that we're so much more blessed than most others throughout history? Well, perhaps you've noticed that we keep talking about blessings as things, right? When perhaps we should be thinking about blessings in a different sort of way. What if a blessing is not a thing itself, but its function in our lives? What if the same thing can be a blessing or a curse, depending on how we receive it, depending on how we hold it? Perhaps we need a new definition of the word blessing. So here's one that I propose. A blessing is a means of knowing God. A blessing is a means of knowing God. Something is a blessing if it provides an avenue by which to know God more deeply. A blessing is a means of knowing God. I like this definition because what God wants most of all is not for our lives to be easy. That's what we want most of the time. But what God wants most of all is to be known. God wants to be known. And so it makes sense then that blessings serve the function for us to know God more deeply. So if a blessing is a means of knowing God, then indeed the good things in our life can be blessings if they help us know God more deeply. 
We can know God when we celebrate the gifts of health and life and love because by means of those gifts we come to know the abundance and the giving nature of the God who pours out blessings upon us. But we can also know God through the challenges we face in our lives if we allow them to draw us into a deeper communion with God. For instance, when we struggle to get into a new routine after a difficult transition in life, we have the opportunity to know God's daily provision more deeply. Or when we learn to accept our increasing limitations, to do the things that we always used to do so easily when we were younger, then we have an opportunity to come to know God's strength in our weakness more deeply. Or when we learn to entrust the lives of our children and grandchildren to God's unfolding, when we know that they just won't listen to our wisdom and advice, then we have the opportunity to come to know God's secret providence more deeply. You see, over time, blessings can emerge from the trials we face insofar as those trials become a means of knowing God. This may sound strange to you, but of course we know that God is in the business of redemption. That is what God does. And though we face many challenges throughout our lives, so often we emerge from those challenges with greater perspective on life and deeper faith in God. And when we emerge in this sort of state, we find that the challenges we face ultimately prove to be blessings. They functioned as blessings Because at the end of the day, it was only by means of those trials that we could have discovered a new depth of God. And that depth of God that I'm talking about is what Father David Stindle Rask calls God's faithfulness at the heart of things. Our journeys with God, our journeys of discovering just how deep and vast and wide is God's love and faithfulness to us, new every morning. And while it's easy to see God's faithfulness in the good things that happen in our lives, it is, of course, much harder to see God's faithfulness when things get difficult. But when we emerge from those difficulties, and even sometimes from the midst of them, God's faithfulness can be evident to us in even deeper, more profound ways. Because after all, God desires to be known in all things, in the heights and in the depths, on the mountains, and in the deserts. But we need to be careful here. This requires some nuance, I think, because I don't mean to suggest that when bad things happen to us, they are, in fact, just blessings in disguise. No, we should call a spade a spade, and sometimes things are just downright evil. God does not send curses our way and demand that we just consider them blessings and thereby ignore the pain and suffering in our lives or in our world, nor does God send curses our way to teach us some kind of lesson. No, no, no. But what I do mean to point out instead is that no matter what happens to us, and even when evil befalls us, God is never far away. God doesn't stay at a distance. In fact, God comes to us in our distress, and God longs to be known in the midst of our trials. And if indeed the challenges we face ultimately lead to deeper communion with God, then we have been blessed. Then we have found a blessing. 
Consider, for example, two people who lose their jobs. One person responds by reevaluating their career goals, learning to live more simply, and ultimately discovers a deeper meaning to the idea of relying on God for daily bread. Meanwhile, the other person responds by deciding that there must not be a God at all, because why would God allow such a thing to happen? And ultimately stops engaging their faith altogether. Only the first person found a blessing in the same hardship. Alternatively, consider two people who get a major promotion in their company and thereby become rich. One person responds by thinking of themselves less, praying daily to God, inquiring about how God wants them to use the great wealth with which they've been entrusted, and ultimately grows in generosity and compassion for those in need. Meanwhile, the other person thinks about all the things they've always wanted and can now have, and they stop praying at all because God seems sort of unnecessary now. And they ultimately decide that they deserve all of this money because, in fact, God thinks they're special and fortunate. Once again, only the first person found a blessing in prosperity. See, what if a blessing is not so much a thing itself, but its function in our lives? What if virtually anything can be a blessing depending on whether or not it draws us closer to God? If a blessings are a means of knowing God, then perhaps the Beatitudes finally make a little more sense. Because even when a person is poor in spirit, even when a person mourns, even when a person is forced to show mercy, there is an opportunity to know the God who is faithfully with us through it all. Ultimately, to be blessed is to know more deeply the faithfulness of God. So if a blessing is a means of knowing God, then how should we handle the good things in our lives, the things that even our culture would recognize as blessings? After all, good things may not ultimately prove to be blessings if in the end they lead us away from God. So how should Kim Kardashian West feel about her private island birthday party? What should Aaron Jackson think about strawberry sales at Trader Joe's? Well, of course, we should give thanks for the good things in life, but we should learn to hold those things loosely rather than clinging to them tightly. To properly handle material blessings, we must not cling to them, but instead learn to hold them lightly because only in holding things lightly do we come to know the gentle abundance of our faithful God. Only in holding things lightly do we come to grow in generosity and in our willingness to share blessings with others. I think an image might be helpful here. Think of a child who holds a tennis ball he does not want to share. He's thankful he has the ball, to be sure, but he's threatened by the thought that anyone would take it away from him, and so he grips it tightly in his hand. His knuckles dig into the yellow felt. He's grateful for the ball, to be sure, but if someone were to take it away from him, he would burst into tears, right? He is not ready to share, not ready to be generous, not ready to receive anything new. Instead, think about 
what it would be like if the boy held the ball in the palm of his hand with his palm facing upward. It's still a blessing. He's still able to enjoy it. But should the ball be taken away, he's left with an open palm, his hands facing up, ready to receive another good gift from God. I think that's the posture with which we should handle the material abundance in our lives. To hold our good fortune lightly is to hold God's gifts with our palms facing upward. The posture of the open palm puts us in a position to receive good gifts from God, but also makes us ready to relinquish those gifts should something else come along, should someone else need those gifts more. If we hold our blessings with an open palm, we'll be ready to receive from God the many blessings that God bestows upon us throughout our lives, some of them obviously good, some of them not so obviously good at first, but all of them ultimately an opportunity to know more deeply the faithfulness of our God who is with us in Jesus Christ. Here at Riverside, we have been blessed, blessed, to call Carol DeGusto a member since her birth and for the last many years our pastor. And perhaps now we can articulate what we mean when we say to Carol, you have been a blessing to us. What we mean is that Carol has been for us a means of knowing God. By her timely phone calls, we have known God's grace. By her presence, we have known God's faithfulness. By her proclamation of God's word from this pulpit and from the graveside, we have known God's truth and God's promises to us in life and in death. Carol has been a blessing to us because she has been a means of knowing God. And now as we say goodbye to Carol in her formal role as our pastor, we will be tempted to cling to her, to cling to the blessing that she has been to us. But instead, let us offer her an open palm giving thanks for all that she has done so that she will be free to move into her next vocation according to God's plan for her life. So thank you, Carol, for being a blessing to our congregation and for showing us the depths of the Lord's love. And let us all give thanks and praise to God for all the blessings that God pours out upon us, both now and forevermore. Alleluia. Amen.